Hi, I'm Craig Williams, and this is Beyond the Tassel. You know, I think sometimes we overmystify the things in our lives and make them out to be more complex than they actually are. The reasons for something happening or not happening are actually usually pretty simple and straightforward. I take college admissions, for example. Now, it's really not rocket science, right? There are a few keys to success, and to the extent that those keys are well executed, good things will usually happen. Of course, there's always a proportionate degree of luck required, and this is especially notable in the more selective schools. Let me explain. So if you were to apply to virtually any of the top 20 ranked schools in America, and when I say the top 20, I'm not really talking about the best 20 schools because, of course, we don't know what the best 20 schools are for you. We do know which are the most selective schools. And so those are the schools I'm really talking about here. You could have a perfect ACT, a perfect GPA, all the extracurriculars in the world. You could have 12 varsity letters, great letters of recommendation, a patent pending, and a million followers on Instagram. And you'll still need a good bit of luck to be selected. Why? Because at that level, perfect ACT scores and GPAs and all the rest just aren't going to communicate your complete uniqueness. Harvard is going to have to say no to a lot of kids with exactly those kinds of credentials because they see about 40,000 applications a year to fill just 1,900 freshman seats. So while those keys are important, certainly they're valuable, and they will get you into a lot of rooms, there are three keys, which I call golden keys, that are really, really special. And they present their holder with a unique and particular advantage that is really difficult to replicate. And so it makes you really difficult to compare to others. And so it gives you an edge in the admissions process. These golden keys have the potential to make a greater difference than your ACT score, your GPA, and your extracurriculars combined. Let's talk about them. Let me start by saying how much I enjoy listening to audiobooks. <laughs> now, why would I start there? Well, I'll get to it. But first, let me explain. Each night before bedtime, I go for a walk. Before I begin, there are three decisions I have to make. First, what will I wear? And depending upon what my weather app tells me is happening outside, I make a decision. As a wise person once said, there is no bad weather only bad clothing. <laughs> and I've found that to be largely true. One exception, I would argue, is wind. It's just really hard to outdress the wind. Next, I decide where I'll walk. Depending upon how much time I have or how late I'm getting started, I'll make that decision. And sometimes I make that decision on the basis of, you know, switching up the routine or what have you. Finally, I'll choose my audiobook. This is really the biggest decision for the evening. But I usually listen to one book all the way through before beginning another. Not always, but usually. Sometimes a book is just so long that I might break it up with a few shorter books in between. Or sometimes, as is the case right now, I'm engaged in a book that, while long, is so spellbinding that I look forward to a new installment with each upcoming walk. I'm currently listening to Grant by Ron Chernow. Now, this is a 43-hour up-close study. This is the man who rose from a modest start in life from the rural Midwest to lead the Union Army to victory over the Confederacy 
before becoming the 18th president of the United States. He's an interesting character. Were this Chernow's hardcover version, it would be more than 1,100 pages long. So it's going to take more than a month of walks to complete this book. For me, there are a couple of things at play here that I think apply to the pursuit of a great education or of greater clarity as you move into your own best-imagined post-secondary futures. Not Grant's life, per se, although there is much to be learned from it. But the notion that perseverance really matters and that intellectual curiosity is a key to deeper understanding of our world and those with whom we share it, and that both are aided by an unyielding passion for that which you pursue. Now, all of these things, as it turns out, were, in fact, characteristics of Ulysses S. Grant. But that doesn't really surprise me, and it shouldn't surprise you. People who accomplish things of worth don't tend to do so by mere chance. Sure, luck can and often does play a role in great outcomes. But it isn't the principal blueprint you'll see Elon Musk, James Corden, uh, Jeff Bezos, or LeBron James falling back on. You'll see them and others who seek to achieve something remarkable identifying that thing, pursuing it with a passion, maintaining near-constant curiosity about that thing, how they can improve upon it, and how they can learn something new to better engage with it. And perhaps most of all, you'll see them committing to and executing upon a kind of perseverance that will not be denied. They will not give up. They will, of course, meet with obstacles and even occasionally get knocked down, but they will not give up. Now, those three characteristics, passion, perseverance, and intellectual curiosity, are three of the most important characteristics adopted by people who would achieve something. So today, I thought it'd be fun to explore these three important attributes of successful people. What they are, how we can acquire them, and how we can leverage them to accomplish remarkable things in our own lives, beyond the high school tassel. Not coincidentally, these are also three things most often sought by college admissions departments. And so we'll take a look at what that looks like as well. Let's start with passion. What it is, how we can harness it, and what must be done to sustain it. Now for our purposes today, let's agree that passion is an intense enthusiasm towards something or a compelling desire for a particular outcome. Now it can range from a deep and active interest in or admiration for an idea proposal, or cause to an enthusiastic enjoyment of an interest or an activity. But if passion is the tree, what is the root? Well, it's different in specificity, of course, for everyone. But in my own life, and in the lives of others I've observed, passion seems to take form and begins to grow from an organic combination of existing or encouraged interests, continued exploration of those interests, and initially small successes within that particular interest. In its early stages, the cultivation of interests and the propellant of passion can be fragile. But if it's an authentic interest, that is, one we have chosen, it has a very good chance of sticking. Now that's not to say that lots of interests may have been initially introduced by a parent, a sibling, a friend, but ultimately, we decide whether or not it's a fit for us. 
that's where the authenticity comes in. If we continue to pursue a thing long after its introduction by another party, then there's a very good chance our interest, and thus our passion, is authentically ours. We own it. And again, that's an important key. Now, I've spoken quite a lot about exploration because ultimately, without it, we are bound to accept that which is in our immediate field of vision. And sometimes, that field of vision produces fantastic options, but often, (laughs) it just doesn't. Now, I like exploration a lot because, well, it's fun. I mean, read a different kind of book. If you're used to reading novels, maybe read some nonfiction. Go on a new outdoor hike. Try a different sport. Audition for the musical. Try entering a Shakespearean reading competition. Try your hand at writing some poetry or playing an instrument. I mean, heck, go to a music store and just pick up a guitar or sit down at a drum kit. (laughs) I do this with my younger kids all the time. They love to go to Guitar Center. Argue your political position, but from the other side. Learn to sew or bake bagels. Heck, (laughs) these are all things you can do. Explore your local grocery store beyond your regular items. Or better yet, find an international grocery store in a college town nearby or a large city that you can drive to and explore that. Go to an art museum, a sculpture garden, or a glass-blowing center. Go sign up as a volunteer. Heck, doing something you don't usually do is a great way to revive the imagination. Or just jump on Google Earth and check out different parts of the country or even the world. There's really no end to what you can explore, and often that exploration can lead to an interest. A new interest, or it can reinvigorate an existing interest. Clearly, our interests and our passions do go hand in hand. Now, it's very difficult to be passionate about something in which we have no real interest. But it's also quite difficult to remain deeply interested in a thing without acquiring a passion for it. Try it out for yourself. Start where you are and then branch out. Find the thing that really draws you in and begin to dig into it. Your passion will follow. I used to have a gymnastics coach for whom I had enormous respect. As my high school history teacher, His name was Mr. Ragland. He was nearing retirement when I had him for class as a junior, but he was still very athletic and physically active. Though he was well into his 60s at the time, he could still perform a perfect one-armed handstand. As our gymnastics coach, we called him Wib. This was short for his first name, Wilbur. Wib was a man imbued with great passion for teaching, and he loved seeing kids succeed. I remember visiting with him years after he'd retired. Whenever I'd bump into him at the grocery store or out on a bike ride, Wibb loved to compete in the Senior Olympics and remained very competitive with his events, the high jump and the long jump. And he would always give me the update on his training for one upcoming competition or another. He remained passionate about his interests for his whole life. And that was, well, inspiring. One of the things Wibb would often say to his gymnasts, and this was intended as practical guidance, mind you, but it bore a much deeper, semi-hidden message. And what he said was, your body will always follow your head. (laughs) Now, when teaching a young gymnast how to perform a back handspring or a back flip, this is absolutely true, and it's just darn good advice. Your body will always follow your head. But its implications are much more profound than the mere physics of how a human body moves through time and space. It speaks to the nature of how our intent will ultimately shape our outcome. 
because our intent begins as an intellectual impulse in our brain, which is clearly in our head. So quite literally, our body will follow our head. This also has another important semi-hidden lesson or suggestion, that our options are largely self-determinable. We get to choose, and once we make a choice and we invest in it with our time, energy, and passion, we will get better at it. Look, creating battery-powered cars and reusable rocket transportation system is Elon Musk's thing. Teaching thousands of students across five decades and inspiring them to possibilities by doing one-handed handstands as a near septuagenarian was Wibb's thing. Your thing is out there. You've just got to find it. Next on this golden ring list of mine is intellectual curiosity. Now, some people have said that you either got it or you don't. But others, and make no mistake, I'm with them, have said that it can be vastly increased simply by doing the one thing the human brain does so remarkably well already. Learn. You may have heard the expression, the more you know, the more there is to know. Now, at first, this sounds counterintuitive, right? I mean, if you know more, one could argue that you are further along toward the completion of absolute knowledge, right? But that isn't really the case. And I think most of us probably have an idea as to why. Because we live with all sorts of constraints and limits in other places in our lives. The size of our house, the length of a movie, the limit on our credit card. We overlay other things with this belief system. But knowledge doesn't work that way. Neither do possibilities, actually. At least, not in the practical sense. So I can say with confidence that the more you learn about a subject the more doors of new ideas will open to you. Your understanding of basic math allows you to open the door to algebra, geometry, calculus, trigonometry, probabilities, statistics, uh, sabermetrics, and many other much more complex and powerful forms of math. Because of what you learned, there is more for you to learn. This is the basic underpinning of intellectual curiosity. As you begin to see new possibilities unveiled through greater acquisition of knowledge and understanding, your curiosity for continued intellectual growth will increase as well. The acquisition of knowledge also has another feature that human beings are really good at exploiting. And that's something that can kind of look like three-dimensional knowledge. We humans can rearrange in new creative patterns to form completely new ideas. This is really the birthplace of innovation. It's where new works of art are born. It's where new medical treatments originate. It's where we can adapt to a whole range of new realities in our lives. Look, in 1900, it was determined that human knowledge was doubling about every hundred years. By 1945, it was said that knowledge doubled every 25 years. And by 1982, the doubling of knowledge had dropped to just 15 months. In 2020, experts in such things say now that human knowledge was doubling in as few as 12 hours. That's amazing. Technology, and specifically the internet, are the most likely explanations for this. But if you think about it only as a concept, I think you can see that the resulting increase in the knowledge we have acquired as a species is very much tied to it being made broadly available and shareable. Consider how you yourself 
are the beneficiary of the process of broadly available public education, which began only within the last 100 years or so. Before that, education was an expensive proposition that many families simply could not economically justify. Today, everyone who wants it has access to Khan Academy, YouTube, a public education, and so much more. All of which brings me to the final golden key, perseverance. And really, it should probably be the first. But in reality, it's hard to persevere unless you've got something in which to persevere. <laughs> now, there is the famous children's fable by Aesop about the tortoise and the hare as perhaps the most illustrative example of how perseverance factors into our victories. The story and its deeper meanings can certainly be argued by scholars and historians, but what we can easily observe is that after much bragging about his speed, athletic gifts, and agility, a large rabbit known as a hare has sufficiently annoyed the much less athletic tortoise that he challenges the hare to a race. The absurdity of this lumbering tortoise outrunning the hare makes the hare laugh and take the whole thing less seriously than he might have, or than he should have. In the story, the hare takes such a comfortable lead that he simply lays down to take a nap. As he does this, the tortoise, with his steady, persistent gait, strolls right on by him and across the finish line before the hare can catch up. This is a story of perseverance. This is about slow and steady wins the race. And that's a cliche, of course, but it's a cliche because it is generally true in all manner of things across the spectrum of life in which most of us engage. One of my dearest friends is the hare in this story. He has steadily advanced without any real urgency to outrun anyone or see any kinds of records broken. But over his life and career, he has built a most remarkable organization. He is widely regarded as one of the finest, most accomplished, and yet most humble people in his community, in his entire region, really. He made a plan many years ago, and he worked that plan. And as he worked that plan, he continued to adapt it. And he continued to do so even when the going was rough or the boredom encroached. As a result, he was able to amass a tremendous outcome. Each time he chose to keep going, it was like putting money into an investment account and leaving it there. Ultimately, the interest accrues and the dividends are substantial. All of this matters for any number of valid reasons. But inasmuch as we are focused here on post-secondary success, I wanted to share this with you today so that you might not only harness its strength as a life strategy, but also as a college admissions tactic. What I can tell you about the admissions decision is that there is a ton of competition on the absolute metrics, and you already know that. Even in this era of test-optional, highly competitive ACT and SAT scores are still a thing. And many of those numbers reported by your dream schools can be intimidating, a GPA, same thing. There are plenty of 4.5 unweighted GPAs. There are enough out there, in fact, to fill an admissions class at even the most highly selective schools. That's not, by far, the only thing these schools look at. It's not the primary thing they care about, frankly. So we're clear. I'm not saying that those things don't matter, because they absolutely do. But they aren't everything. And for a college applicant to find a way to demonstrate intellectual curiosity, perseverance, and passion, well, that's something I highly recommend. 
not only because it can place you in a highly selective school's target zones by the creation of essentially a new grid which you entirely control now, but because life will continue long beyond college, and you will live it better if you can cultivate these three golden keys. And so we will end here where we began, and I will remind you of both Ulysses S. Grant and Wilbur Ragland, both of whom perfected their craft to the significant benefit of humanity through passion, perseverance, and their unique brands of intellectual curiosity. And I think that's something to which we all have access. Give it a little thought, spin it around in your mind, and see if you can find ways this week to execute on your passions. Find a way to persevere, even when it gets difficult, and remain curious. I think if you'll do those three things, great things will follow. Well, that's it for this week. Next week, we'll get into some colorful examples of how to leverage and how not to leverage your social media presence. Spoiler alert, assume it's all public, regardless of your privacy settings. But we're going to go further and we're going to learn how to make it work for you in the realm of post-secondary possibilities. This is an interesting one. Until then, I'm Craig Williams for Beyond the Tassel. Stay safe, stay healthy, and stay engaged in your own amazing journey.